So, Rachel. Yeah. Kirk and a landing party beam down to what seems to be an ideal Eden-like planet. Oh, dear. It's going to be Adam and Eve themed, I guess. It'll be the specialist or the yeoman. I think it's time for the yeoman this time that we'll never see again to get (laughs) palmed off on some weirdo, fall in love with him and then have to be torn away from him. So in Eden, having no knowledge is the catch, isn't it? So that's going to spark Kirk disapproving of this civilization because either they're enslaved or there's no progress. Holy cow. What? I I think you're doing pretty well here on this guess. Yeah. (laughs) I'm guessing it'll be an outdoor episode. We'll have trees, water, maybe one alien plant doing stuff. Do you think it'll be soundstage outdoors or Vasquez rocks outdoors? Oh, mm, I don't think Vasquez can be dressed up enough to make it look lush. What about the shore leave? I'm thinking shore leave. Okay. I'm hoping for a snake girl dancer to offer them an apple. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to see. Star Trek! Captain's log, stardate 3715.3. While making a routine exploration of the unexplored Gamma Trianguli 6, one of my men has been killed by a poisonous plant. Welcome to our podcast. Rachel watches Star Trek. Where I get Rachel to watch Star Trek. If you hear a slightly haunted quality to our voices today, it's not because I'm watching Star Trek against my will. It's because we've been to the emergency room with our eldest child, Albert, today, who was... It's fine. ...thrown against a chair leg by his younger brother (laughs) and had his head split open. It's a small little cut that, that needed some gluing. Shout out to the NHS. We were only there one and a half hours, which is much lower than it usually is. Had the head glued together free well i mean our tax dollars pay for it but But i think uh tax dollars well spent yeah good job nhs after your summary in the beginning of the show i think you got a lot of it pretty right yeah i actually did this time didn't i yeah i wonder if you're really starting to understand the star trek zeitgeist maybe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so let's get into this episode. It begins with Kirk, Spock, Chekhov, Yeoman Landon, and two red shirts beaming down to the planet Gamma Trianguli 6. Then really quickly after that, Dr. McCoy and two other security officers beam down. That's just too many. Why Ridiculous. So, why so many? Yeah. So Spock notes that the soil is rich and fertile and that the whole planet has a similar temperature even at the poles close to 76 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 24 degrees Celsius for my UK and European friends. <laughs> Why is the fertile soil sand? <laughs> it didn't look like fertile soil to me either. Didn't even try, did they? Yeah, it was just kind of really dry dirt. Uh, it wasn't like moist earth. Mm. Don't know, gardeners, maybe that's, we don't know. I don't I know. I mean, boy, look at our garden. We really don't know. <laughs> Uh, So Chekhov says that the planet makes him homesick for Russia. McCoy says, you mean the Garden of Eden? And the Chekhov goes, yeah, right. It was just outside of Moscow. (laughs) What? (laughs) Attempt at a joke that he's so patriotic that it's funny. I guess so. I think it was supposed to be humor, but it just came off really strange. Mm. It was done really dry. You know, he wasn't like doing it with a wink, I yeah. didn't feel. And then everyone's reaction was just kind of weird. Like they weren't sure either if he was joking or not. It just made everybody awkward. And then Kirk even says, just outside of Moscow. 
All right. And then continues on with what he's doing. <laughs> what would have improved it? Maybe if they all kind of smiled a little bit or made a joke back at him. Right, yeah. A little hammer up a little bit. Yeah. Banter. Instead of just, he does a bit, they all just kind of look uncomfortable and then that's, it's dropped. It was more of the bantery thing they have at the end of the episode type affair where someone talks, oh, that's so Chekhov to say that. But it isn't because we don't know him yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So McCoy's now snarking on Chekhov, not Spock. Yeah. He's transferred that over. I, I just, again, I'm stuck on the scene. What was the whole point of that interaction? Was that just supposed to be us getting to know Chekhov? And if so, that he really likes Russia? Is that what we're trying to get out of the whole thing? Is that... He misses home. He's seeing it through rose-tinted glasses, I guess. There's so many episodes where they talk about how much of a paradise this place is. And it's just because it's got some greenery. <laughs> I mean, maybe the temperature's nice, but they're really quick to jump to that. True. There's a lot of really nice places on Earth. Well, they probably spent too much time indoors, haven't they? Anywhere so, with a bit a of ship. fresh air. Yeah. Paradise. Pretty much. <laughs> Eden. There's a breeze. It's Eden! Just then, a fake plant turns like a periscope, and I knew it was going to jizz. <laughs> Not another! We've done this! <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it shits these thorns at one of the red shirts and they all kind of clump together in his chest. His name's Hendorf. And then he just dies right there on the spot. There's no attempt to revive him. No hypo, McCoy? No, no. He's just like, oh, I'm dead. I'm not going to even bother. Oh, come on. <laughs> Kirk says, what did somebody say? That paradise must have looked like this? Which is strange. <laughs> kind of a thing to say when somebody just dies. Like he's annoyed that they were all enjoying the scenery. <laughs> I just can't get into the headspace of this episode. Mm. People are saying strange things all the time. Yeah, that's his reaction to one dead. Yeah. Is he cross with them like they jinxed it by saying it was paradise or I something? I guess so. If that is what he's communicating, that's kind of a crappy thing to do as a captain. Mm. Gotta be pulling it together, making everybody feel better, controlling the situation. But Yeah, well, there's going to be plenty of not doing that. Yeah, geez. So Kirk calls up to Scotty, who's in charge back on the ship. Scotty says that there are some strange abnormalities in the antimatter pods, and it might be caused by a strange electromagnetic field coming from the planet. Spock says his tricorder is picking up strange vibrations miles around the site, and he says that they are artificially produced. During this, Scott hints he'd like an away day too. <laughs> Again, some guy just got killed. <laughs> strange timing, Scott. Strange writing. <laughs> Kirk orders everyone to do some recon, but to avoid contact with the humanoids in the area. Dead by plants, one. Precautions put in place as a result, zero. <laughs> So Spock detects a humanoid hiding in the bushes nearby. Kirk goes to see who this humanoid is, but it's wily and it runs off really quickly. So they decide that they're going to go to the nearby village and stay in an L formation. In what? I don't I don't know what that is. I guess one goes forward, then they kind of fan out in the back. Or are they L. in a line and then some of them are on the left at the back? Might be a military thing that one of our listeners might know about. Yeah, uh, haven't bothered to look it up, but still mentioned it. Spock discovers a super light rock that is very brittle. He breaks it in two just by hand, and then he just casually tosses it aside. And when he does, it explodes! Eek! Do we have any elements like that? I don't think naturally occurring ones. I remember one of my top five memorable chemistry lessons was the alkaline metals exploding in water. Oh, right, yeah. I watched a video where cesium exploded the glass container, just a tiny piece of it. Oh, yeah. Do guns work by impacting on the bullet which has gunpowder in it? Or? Yeah. You know, have you seen those little whip things where you... Mm, you yeah. Yeah, they're just gunpowder wrapped up in paper tight. And so when it hits the ground, it pops. So yeah. same thing. Uh, but as far as I know, gunpowder is not naturally occurring. 
Well, it wasn't that place Kirk went to. <laughs> no, but it wasn't. No, we had to make it. We had to make it. <laughs> Scott calls to Kirk to tell him that the antimatter pods are totally inert because of something on the planet's surface. Spock thinks it has to do with his tricorder readings that he got earlier. So that means no power, does it? Well, it doesn't mean any power. It just means that they can't do an antimatter reaction, which is what powers their warp engines, which means that they'd be stuck in the system. Oh, right. Yeah. McCoy shows Kirk the poison quill of the plant and says that it's very powerful. And while they're talking about the plant, another one starts to turn and aim at Kirk and McCoy, but they don't notice it. So Spock, he does, and he jumps right in front of the plant and he takes the quills to the chest. And I, I <laughs> will always love you. It's just like the bodyguard. It is just like the bodyguard. That's exactly what I was thinking. So, of course, being Vulcan, Spock doesn't die immediately, and McCoy is able to treat him. Yeah, convenient. Finally, Kirk says that this place is too dangerous. Let's retreat. Uh, only now that Spock and nearly he were killed. <laughs> Scott attempts to beam them up, but the power is being drained. Oh, no. They can't do it, and the landing party is now trapped. Just send a shuttle. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) They forgot they have shuttles, I guess. They spent a lot of time money building that set as well. That's true. What they should have done is come up with a writing excuse, like Mm. maybe something about the electromagnetic field would interfere with the shuttle's engines, and it too would drain its power, and it couldn't land safely. But yeah. they don't. Clyde they... will say that that was implied. <laughs> Just getting there ahead of you, Clyde. <laughs> so McCoy gets Spock. I love that you're thinking like this, though. This is very exciting to me. He's a, his eyes are real twinkly right now, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you got your, your nerd brain on. I'm liking it. So McCoy gets Spock back into shape and he's doing fine. Kirk tells Spock... Why don't you just yell at me next time instead of jumping in front of the bullets? I could have got out of the way. (laughs) Again, what? It feels so out of character for Kirk to be pissy with Spock. Well, sometimes. But Spock just saved his life, you know? Why? Because usually they're bros, you know? You would think he'd be like, hey, man, thanks for saving my life. Jeez, or at least some subtle look that we know means that. Yeah, but no, he's just kind of like, oh, Spock, you really... You really effed up there, didn't you? <laughs> by saving my life. Is he mad at him That's... because Bok nearly died? Yeah. Or emasculated by being saved? Again, it's weird. The whole episode it's... is mm, weird. Giving you the creeps. Yeah. Just then an electrical storm comes out of nowhere and then one of the red shirts is vaporized by oh. a lightning strike. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. So everybody else runs for cover. It reminded me of Shaw Leave. All these random different ways that people can be killed. All these dangers coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, they these guys actually die-die. There's well, no coming back from true. this. Okay, so while that's going on, Mallory, the red shirt, is off investigating and he finds the village. He tells Kirk that he's there, but it's empty and he sends Kirk the coordinates. Now, this is something that I was thinking about. How do they know that there was a village there in the first place? Because they said, well, let's go to the village. Are there missions we haven't seen where it all goes well? Maybe all of those, there's a village and they all have a copper and learn about local culture and then just leave. <laughs> Are they you saying that they just assume there's a there's village? there's always a village. There's a village somewhere. Okay, yeah. maybe that's... they got to live somewhere, haven't they? Sure. Well, it's usually underground, isn't it? But if they're like able to detect life forms and then, oh, look, there's all these life forms. They're yeah. clumped around this area. That must be where the village is. Yeah, that they're... tricot is rubbish, isn't it? It just feels like half-assed writing. Like they yeah. just really didn't think it through. That's picking though, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Uh, (laughs) Now, this is my thing with nitpicking. I've noticed this. If something isn't good, it's really easy to nitpick. Yes. And if you do enjoy something, that the nitpicking doesn't happen because you're just enjoying it. Just let it slide. Yeah, exactly. So, obviously, I don't like Like this episode. (laughs) 
Just as he's sending over the coordinates, it cuts out. So Kirk and company start heading towards where the village is. They're worried that something might have happened to Mallory, but Mallory and Kaplan are running back. Kaplan accidentally steps on one of the exploding rocks. Kaboom! Mm. And this is really not a good episode for the red shirts. Well, apparently this is the one that started the phenomenon of they always die. Oh, I see. And I did read that the stuntman who did that explosion mm. got hurt really bad. Ooh. But he's okay. Yikes. They had to stop production. They had to get a new guy, take him to the hospital. And appreciate that. That was a lot of sacrifice for that stunt. Yeah, and they really should have learned from the gone one. Arena, didn't Nimoy or several of them end up with Schneider? Yeah, McCoy too. Come on, you guys. (laughs) There was a lot of redshirt deaths in Nomad. Yeah, yeah. All the family competition winners. (laughs) Uh, but they all just got vaporized by Nomad. Yeah. But this one, first we get a, a plant kills a dude, then a lightning strike kills a dude. Yeah. And then an exploding rock kills a dude. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. The only thing that's safe is the people there. Yeah. So far. So far. So Kirk's bummed out and he says Kaplan's dad helped him get into the academy. Oh, sure. Better pretend Kirk has any relationship with these red shirts. <laughs> Half-hearted. <laughs> but Kirk is getting super whiny about the death of the crewman, beating himself up over it. Spock and McCoy both tell him it wasn't his fault, which it's not really. Oh. Uh, but it doesn't do any good. Why do you don't think you think it is his fault? Yeah. And and what what do you think he should have done differently? It's just an incredibly dangerous as usual, reckless disregard for human life they should have made way more precautions before they even got there perhaps based on some of the previous disasters they've had Mm -hmm. and then the first person dies get out of there that's all his fault as leader do more planning there's no rush at that point they could have left yeah the, the whole reason that they do this mission is that the scout ship picked up some abnormal readings and they want to investigate the planet that's it it's just nosiness isn't it it is just nosiness. get out of there so they could be a lot more cautious and take time with it but that would be a very boring show i'm okay i'm fair enough i'm with you (laughs) (laughs) but kirk does really seem to be enjoying his pity party yeah i think he should have one he has screwed up but have it later yeah not while there's still work to be done yeah he's always telling people especially the women get yourself together you've got work to do yeah it's just the writing of this episode kirk's emotions also don't really feel genuine to me Mm. like he's putting it all out for sympathy i think it's like he's expressing an internal voice but you don't need to give people that in a monologue no just get on with it so our alien peeper is back and kirk and the gang (laughs) do, do a distraction so that kirk can sneak around behind this alien Kirk sneaks up on him and punches him in the face, (laughs) making him silently cry. He's this white-haired dude with white eyeliner and kind of an orangish skin. Then Kirk says, I won't hurt you. But Kirk, you've got to have kind hands as well as kind words. (laughs) That's not okay. You just punched the guy out of the blue. That's worse. That's abusive. What the hell? the most ridiculous thing the guy wasn't armed yeah. he wasn't he was just looking and they didn't even say sorry no kirk is a reasonable human being and not a dude that's just gonna start punching people and he's an alien who knows what happens if you touch him he could have some mm. kind of a venomous skin or maybe he's super fragile and like you yeah. punch him and his head caves in oh yikes like yeah come on get a cloth on spock's hand and do the vulcan nerve pinch <laughs> That protects his hand and possibly the guy. Okay, that's it. So anyway, this poor dude, this little crying guy, crying Oompa Loompa, he's Akuta and he's the leader of the Feeders of Vol. He said that he is the eyes and ears of Vol and he explains that he's got these little antenna that keep him linked to Vol. And they're like, who's Vol? And he's like, 
Wall's Wall. So since Wall is in charge of everything, maybe he's the one that's messing with the Enterprise. Kirk wants to talk to Vol, but Akuta says that only he can talk to Vol, and Vol is resting right now, but he does offer to take them to the village. Scott calls down and says there's some kind of tractor beam pulling them down to the planet so they can't break free. So Kirk asks Akuta again if, if they can see Vol, and this time he says, okay, sure. So Akuta takes them to this thing that looks like a giant snake's head in the side of a hill with its mouth open really big, which is kind of forming a doorway. It's got glowing eyes and light coming from inside, like maybe it's a volcano or something. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see the group paper mache project has gone well. <laughs> Obviously a popular pastime. It reminded me of our efforts at the Scarecrow Festival recently. <laughs> By the way, everybody, third prize. Yeah, that's right. Woo. Second only to the... Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, and, and Frozen. Frozen. Yes, and the Nightmare Before Christmas was definitely really Real good. good. Frozen, controversially, no straw. What? I know. Didn't realize that when I voted for it. Oh my goodness. Scandal. Spock's tricorder tells him, look, I, I'm having trouble getting over this scarecrow scandal here. <laughs> Just give me a few seconds. <laughs> wow, which is worse? This episode or that? Don't make me choose. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock's tricorder tells him that this opening leads beneath the planet's surface, leading Kirk to speculate that that's where the power is coming from that's messing with the Enterprise. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> Spock goes a little bit closer, but he's hit with a powerful force field. And Kirk asks Akuta if he can talk to Val, but he says Val only talks when he wants something to eat. Hmm. This is the second time Spock takes a hit, yeah, but not the last. Spock really gets the tar oh, beaten yeah. out of him in this particular episode. First, it was the plant, shot him yeah, in the chest. Yeah. The force field knocks him in his butt, and then Got later it. on, something yeah. else happens yeah. to him. They finally get to the village, and there are all these native people. They all look like Akuta minus the antenna. They've got the, the white hair and the orange skin. And for some reason, they all laugh when Spock says his name. Maybe it means something rude in their language. They all laugh. Everybody looks uncomfortable. And we move on. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> you can't like, explain everything. You don't have to explain everything. <laughs> Just make sense. Explain enough to make sense. Thank That's all I'm asking for, because they really don't do that at any part in this. Yeah. Well, maybe these poor actors with these odd characters just made up a whole backstory and, you know, we'll laugh when Spock says his name just to give them some self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, God, you, you really noticed some details here, Chris. Again, it's because this episode stinks and <laughs> all the bad things stand out horribly. Moving on, Kirk asks where the children are. But the Oompas don't know the meaning of children or love. Yeah. It's forbidden, I guess. They're even worse than Vulcans. Yeah, they don't have any kind of sex or sexual relationships, these guys. Yikes. With the orange skin and the white blonde hair, just add some dark eyebrows and it's more like a night out in Bingley. <laughs> <laughs> which is a town near us. <laughs> Vol contacts Akuta and calls all the villagers together. Spock and Kirk follow, and they see that they're bringing food into the cave mouth. Kirk and Spock go to approach, but as they do, the eyes glow bright, and so Kirk and Spock back off. Kirk wonders if Vol is getting weaker because of the energy it's expending messing with the Enterprise. McCoy shows up as Spock is going on about the efficiency of the society. McCoy is back to his old bag of tricks, jumping on Spock, saying... Intelligent life has a right to a free and unchained environment with an opportunity for growth. Mm. Spock says that McCoy is unfairly applying human standards to non-human cultures and that humanoids have the right to choose the system that works best for them. What do you think of that? I agree with Spock. Me too. (laughs) In adult safeguarding, for example, you can't make decisions for an adult, even if they lack capacity to make decisions for themselves, without making every effort to explain their options and help them to decide. 
But then do you look at it in the context of slavery? But slaves, if they were asked, would presumably choose freedom or a different life, whereas these people, it's all they've ever known and they're quite happy with it. Yeah, yeah. It's more like a cult. Well, man, it's so strange because in Star Trek, the Prime Directive, which is very loosely defined in the old series. But and the, never applied. <laughs> <laughs> but in the new series, it's pretty explicitly described. It's basically you cannot interfere with an alien culture yeah. that's not at warp level technology. You're mm. not even supposed to introduce yourselves to them. All right. It's about their society making it through the societal and technological growth without destroying themselves. Mm. So if you go in and interfere, even if you're helping with them, then that makes them possibly reliant or you can influence their society in ways that might be detrimental to it because you don't mm. understand the whole thing. So yeah. uh, it makes a lot makes of sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. Even in this society, if there was slavery, mm. there were slaves that didn't want to be in there. As a regular dude, I'd want to come in and say, yeah, stop having these people enslaved. That's terrible. But there are going to be huge societal repercussions for for that, especially mm. if you're an outside force. It gets very complicated. Yeah. And I want to judge all cultures by my standards, mm -hmm. obviously, but <laughs> you you just can't. You don't understand what those people go through, what their history is, what their culture is, why it is the way that it is. Yeah. So, just ask them. Yeah. I know they're being held down there against their will. That's obviously a huge element to it, but that doesn't excuse them for deciding what these people need as a whole. McCoy says it's their right for freedom. And it's like rights are a human construct. In nature, nobody has any rights. Do whatever you have to do to survive. At this point in the story, they're just debating the two sides of it. Yes. Scott calls and says that Vol's power output has been slowing, but they're souping up the impulse engines. It's going to take eight hours to do it, but the ship is going to crash in eight hours and 15 minutes or something like that. Kirk says, do whatever you have to do. Even discard the warp nacelles if you have to and crack out of there with the main section. Huh? The pointy bits with the little spinny things, the oh. kind of the wings on mm -hmm. the side. Those are the nacelles that generate the warp field. Uh -huh. They come off oh. or can come off. Right. So that they would fly away without warp. But then they'd be stuck. They'd be stuck there. Away yeah. from home forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could still communicate and somebody could come help them. Bring them some more warp. <laughs> now they're all sitting around in a nice hut wondering what happens when a villager dies. And there's this strange conversation where they seem to try and talk around talking about showing the natives how to have sex and reproduce <laughs> and replace themselves. It's like they're trying to put Spock on the hot seat in front of Yeoman Landon and make everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it was meant to be funny. Again, it's supposed to be funny. It's just weird. Interesting. Kind of engaging. Sure. It wasn't boring, sure. was it? It wasn't boring. True. So later that night, Chekhov and Landon are out macking and uh, a male and female villagers see them getting busy. So they try it out with each other and Akuta catches them and he says, you know, that's forbidden. Why'd you do it? And he calls all the male villagers together to go away from the village and meet after all the Enterprise people are asleep. At the meeting, Akuta tells the male villagers Val has told him to kill the strangers. Mm. They don't understand what kill means either. So he explains it very strangely. It's a thing to do, like feeding Val. <laughs> <laughs> he then does a demo with a space melon, which is a melon dyed blue, where he takes a club and he smashes it. Looked quite good, I thought. He tells them to sneak up on the strangers and do this to their head. Ooh, yeah, bonk, pretty... bonk on the head. It's a bit reminiscent of Miri in general, actually, this. It's a thing to do, like feeding Val. That reminds me of their language. <laughs> so back in the hut, Kirk agrees with McCoy and thinks that it would be wrong to leave the villagers under the influence of Val. Spock says, a clear violation of the Prime Directive. But Kirk decides to throw those principles out the window yet again. Has he ever applied them? 
episodes we've seen. No, no, yeah, you're right. He says, these people are not robots. Spock says, Starfleet Command most likely won't agree with you, but Kirk says, I'll I'll take my chances. They've let me get away with it the other 15 times. (laughs) It's the prime directive is just more of a guideline. Hasn't bothered reading that policy in the binder, has he? (laughs) Spock says that the villagers have all gone, so Spock and Kirk go to talk to the Bald Cave again and discover that the force field is down. When they approach, another storm starts up and lightning bolt zaps Spock! Oh, yeek. Third time Spock gets knocked down, man. Of course he's fine. (laughs) I mean, he's got second degree burns all over him. Painful, but not life threatening. He's tough. They go back to the village and are ambushed by the feeders of Val. One of the red shirts gets it right away, but the others fight. Yeoman Landon kicks some serious ass. Yeah, she does. And the villagers are easily defeated since they've only just learned about the concept of fighting. (laughs) They imprison the villagers in a hut. Ooh, that's harsh. That guy, the red shirt's dead. Scotty tries uh, the souped up engines, but they don't work. They get a bit further away, so it bought them a little extra time. Kirk again whines about losing the Enterprise over not leaving early, blah, blah, blah. But quit your whining, get to work, dude. (laughs) What's the point anymore if he's lost his love, the Enterprise? (laughs) But he hasn't lost it yet. McCoy's given up on reassuring him and just stares into space. (laughs) I think I do that sometimes. Just dissociate or nothing I say is going in anyway. So what's the point? Compassion fatigue. Maybe McCoy's just thinking, get it together like you tell everyone else yes. and save us. Yeah, yeah. So finally, Kirk gets an idea and tells McCoy and Chekhov to keep the villagers in the hut. He then orders the Enterprise to fire the phasers. And I'm thinking, why do they still work? Did oh. they just use all their energy to put in the impulse engines? Oh, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. to fire these phasers at the Vol Cave. Allah who mourns for Adonais. Same yeah, exact same Real thing. similar effect. Defending itself against the Enterprise is probably using up all of its power reserves. And as they fire on it, it just gets weaker and weaker. And then finally, Val is inert. Scott reports that the ship is better now due to the lack of interference. Kirk orders him to send the engineering crew down to the surface and tells Chekhov to release all the villagers. In front of the lifeless Val, Akuta asks Kirk how will they survive? Kirk tells them they will now live with freedom. Yay! And they could do whatever they want. Yeah, do it all on your own. Work out how to have sex through blind experimentation with people you have a platonic relationship with. (laughs) Work out how to raise children with no guidance whatsoever. Insert reference to Dr. Spock books here. Uh Work out how to make food. Forget about the God you've worshipped and your sole purpose. We've decided you need autonomy. You're welcome. <laughs> At least you get to have sex. Oh, they do get, yeah. He does kind of make it like, hey, you're going to like sex. Oh, you betcha. You're going to like it. So back on the Enterprise, we get our last uncomfortable button. I want you to hear this. Captain, I'm not at all certain we did the correct thing on Gamma Triangle 6. We put those people back on a normal course of social evolution. I see nothing wrong in that. Well, that's a good object lesson, Mr. Spark. An example of what can happen when the machine becomes too efficient. Does too much work for you? Captain, you are aware of the biblical story of Genesis. Yes, of course I'm aware of that. Adam and Eve tasted the apple, and as a result, we're driven out of paradise. Precisely, Captain. And in a manner of speaking, we have given the people of Vile the apple, the knowledge of good and evil, if you will, as a result of which they, too, have been driven out of paradise. Doctor, do I understand him correctly? Are you casting me in the role of Satan? Not at all, Captain. Is there anyone on this ship who even remotely looks like Satan. I am not aware of anyone who fits that description, Captain. No, Mr. Spock, I didn't think you would. Oh. Mm, worst racism since a horror song? 
I yeah, calling him a devil. That's Yikes. the second time about it. Jeez. And this is response to his reasonable musing that they screwed the natives out of paradise and effed up their civilization on a whim. <laughs> and I think it's generous to suggest they gave them the apple of knowledge. They could have just said, "Here's what's available if you're interested." They didn't do that. No, they did not. They do trashed that. it all. So concepts. Wow. As usual, trying to still convince themselves it's paradise, even after half the landing party have died. Mm-hmm. We had Spock and Kirk representing the positive and critical internal voices, maybe, with Kirk wrenching himself apart about how he's made a mistake and Spock trying to reassure him and also McCoy encouraging positive internal voice. But it's not usually Spock's language of love there is it to reassure and rescue people emotionally (laughs) really odd you had them kind of balancing stagnation versus happiness often they get really upset if a society is stagnant and they have to change it but as spock was presenting these people were happy so i thought found that interesting I did, but I found it really interesting that they discussed it and then went the other way. <laughs> it was a very cool concept and it was good sci-fi and it made you think a lot, but the that ultimate decision that they went to seemed quite flawed. And to make them have children. <laughs> <laughs> there seemed to be a lot of speculation on actually what Vol was doing. I mean, they just said mm. that those people were healthy, but what if he altered them on a genetic level? Like they're just never going to age unless he was using some kind of energy field to rejuvenate them on some kind of daily Yeah, well, he could control the weather and extinguish the ship's power. So he maybe he was keeping them immortal and they no longer will be. He says Val was controlling the environment, so maybe the environment's going to change and then their food yeah. won't grow as well as possible. What was the one where the foreskins grew back? Which no, one was that? All their health problems uh, stayed. That was, um, it was this side of paradise. Oh, didn't their appendix grow back and yeah, stuff? Yeah, they did. And then when they left, they still had their appendixes. That's not good. Sure, yeah. But that's not relevant. That's <laughs> not what we're talking about. But yet this all-powerful machine which can control lightning can only speak through one dude and has to be fed or it dies. Yeah. Fed with like human food too, which seems kind yeah. of strange. Yeah. And why did it want to keep them from having sex? Well, it probably didn't want them to reproduce because it only needed the 20 or so of them to feed it. Uh, why was that a problem for it if there were more? If it's providing for them to stay alive, it's controlling the environment. So it figured out an equation. It's like, I only need 20 people. Yeah. So don't have kids because that would unbalance things. It's unnecessary. I and guess. I'm just speculating. Yeah. And how did the plants relate to him? I don't think they had anything to do with it. I think mm. they were just dangerous plants on the planet. I don't with the exploding rocks. They don't. Get what rid they have of outsiders. No. Don't know. Maybe? Don't know. Basically, I gave it a four. Yeah, I'll go four. Entertainment. I enjoyed Spock complaining about the hypo turning his stomach (laughs) after McCoy had saved him. That was fun. And the Kirk and Scott dynamic was okay. Yeah. Lots of zoom-ins on Scott being heroic. Kind of a mission control vibe, but it didn't really move me. I think we were supposed to be all, you won't say, you won't say, when he finally got everything working again and they were fine, but I didn't really care. Yeah. There was a big group fight, but it seemed quite mean since the natives were so rubbish at yeah. it. I enjoyed the human getting stuck in, though. Yeah, she was doing some high kicks and yeah. stuff. And like, she was really rocking those dudes. I wasn't bored. I was a bit irritated or confused at times. But yes. generally, there was a lot going on, a lot there, of silliness. Yeah, it I was, give it a five. There was a lot going on. It was it was paced all right. It's just all the dumb stuff really infuriated me. It was getting, mm-hmm. getting my goat. So I give it a three. Don't you like hating things sometimes, though? I like bad things. If something's really crappy, I can appreciate it, especially if it's crappy in ways that I don't anticipate it being crappy. Right. Mm-hmm. All of the room. Yeah. Whereas this was just weird and confusing. 
Would you give it a higher score if it was boring but consistent? But had better writing, you mean? Mm. Yeah. So that's how you like to be entertained. Sex. No twinkle mode from Kirk. Mm. No horror. The yeoman was sexy. Yeah. But I didn't buy she'd be into Chekhov. No way. But then he is in a band. (laughs) (laughs) The topless natives with nice bodies. Yeah, quite nice. Little outfits, little bikini tops and kind of grass skirt type things. Fun makeup on them. So I'm going to go for a four. You'll probably go for a ten because it's like a mock time where it's all about sex, right? No. (laughs) They're not going to have sex. Nobody's interested in sex. Kirk's having to bring up sex at the end of it. It's like, you guys got to try the sex. It's great. And they're like, (laughs) oh, okay, whatever. Like, it's the most unsexy thing ever. They're just a bunch of people that don't have sex and they're not interested. They're asexual, non-sex. Well, nobody's having sex in uh, mock time either. No, no. But there's the whole drive of it is... I want to do it. That undercurrent of it, it's kind of sexy. Mm, okay. Spock wants to have sex so bad that his brain's going to explode. I've been there. Oh, well, <laughs> thankfully I haven't thrown me out the room with my soup. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I give it a, a three, a two, three. I'll say okay. three. Okay. Wow. Ooh. The yeoman was attractive, you're right. And they had mm. cute little native outfits. They were yeah. scantily clad. That's where the three comes from. And that's as, as much as that gets. Mm. Next week, we are going to do a very cool, interesting episode uh, that I episode <laughs> that I remember called uh, the Doomsday Machine. Oh, goodness sake. This sounds like it's going to be a bit samey. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you mean by that, but uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be another different. alien race run by a robot and mm. then they decide to change it all again no. at the end. No. No? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen it. But the stuff I remembered from, I really liked this when I was a kid. All right. I thought it was cool. All right. All right. All right. Let's give it a go. Rachel, I want to thank you for watching Star Trek with me. You're welcome. Thank you. And I want to thank our patrons for being awesome and being our crew. Without you, this starship would not be able to fly. We won't send you down to be exploded by a rock. (laughs) We'll take every precaution with you. (laughs) And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!